The Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast is back with episode number three. Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, where we show you how to build your business brick by brick. Put on your hard hat and grab your tool belt because you are about to enter the construction zone. And now, here's your host, Christy Hostler. Thank you so much for joining us today for the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast. I am extremely excited about today's guest. She has a wealth of knowledge and experience in both the corporate world, in being an entrepreneur um, by herself and establishing her own businesses, in marketing, in all things to do with internet marketing. She's also recently put all her eggs in one basket and joined um, in the family business. And so I'm so excited today to have Carmen Sanyovi from Urban Martial Arts um, in New York with us. And uh, Carmen, we are glad to have you here. We're going to talk about a lot of things that you've experienced over the course of your professional life. But do you want to get us started by telling a little bit about um, about you, maybe even anything we, we would need to know personally, and kind of give us a little bit of your history professionally, if you don't mind. Sure, and I'm so happy to be here. I'm, I'm excited about this podcast because I love bricks and mortar businesses. There's not enough emphasis on those, so exactly. <laughs> I'm glad you're doing the show. Um, yeah, so a um, little bit of background on me. I have... I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, I have a little bit of a checkered past. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, and I know that, you know, prior to us doing this interview, you know, we had exchanged emails a little bit and um, you had asked me if I kind of expected that I would go into entrepreneurship. Yes. And I think in many ways, no, I didn't. Um, oh. Because... A lot of the, and you know, these may be stereotypes, but I feel like a lot of the entrepreneurs we read about have these traits where they've always been the rebel, they've always been like the bad boy, um, they never <laughs> did well in school. Um, I was right. the opposite. So I was the nerd, I was, you know, the teacher's pet, I pretty much always got straight A's, um, always did all my homework, didn't really question authority, so um, I think growing up. <laughs> Um, you would have not thought that I'd be, you know, the next Richard Branson. Not that I am, but, you know. Right, right. No, that's, um, it's good to hear that, though, because I, I tend to follow the same thing. I was the conformist and the one that followed the rules and wanted to do well and meet everyone's expectations. <laughs> so it does show that it can take all personality types to uh, get, you know, get out in the business world. So we all have something to contribute. So Yeah, exactly. Um, so um, so basically, I, um, I went to college at Columbia University in New York City. Um, I'm from Hong Kong originally, kind of bounced around in various places when I was a kid. But, uh, you know, I moved to New York um, for college. And when I graduated, you know, most of my life, I wanted to go into journalism. That had always been my passion. And then when it got to senior year, I freaked out. Um, and if, you know, you have any concept of what it's like at these colleges, pretty much the way you're brainwashed is that if you don't go, if you don't land a job in investment banking or management consulting, your life is worthless. Mm, wow. <laughs> so pretty wow. much I kind of gave up my dream and I thought, oh, man, i got to get with the program. So I did manage to land a job at Goldman Sachs. So that was my very first job out of college with analysts at Goldman. And, um, and it was interesting because that's like sort of the ultimate big corporate job. And right, right. it was, 
I think it's interesting that I landed in the particular department that I did, um, because this department was within the legal department, and it was this tiny sort of fiefdom that had been established under um, one woman. And I realized a few months into it that, wait a minute, you know, everything that we're doing, we're duplicating the work of three other departments. And essentially, this is glorified data entry. Wow. And it took me... It took me a while to realize it because, that, you know, it, it takes a while for, like, the glamour and the glitz to wear off. And then you suddenly right. realize, wait a minute, this is such a big waste of resources. <laughs> and so I think it was the fact that that was my first job that kind of put me on the path towards entrepreneurship. And so from there, I kind of, you know, bounced around. Um, actually, one of the most formative experiences was I spent about a year and a half working at a marketing agency um, where I had actually interned uh, when I was in college. And that was a place, even though, you know, there were definitely a lot of issues with the way the place was run, um, that mm-hmm. was a place where I really got into Internet marketing. And so I wow. really started reading. And this is, in, you know, not like in 2000, 2001. Right, and um, so I really started, you know, my my own education in online marketing. Um, I did a lot of projects that related to that, and so I learned a lot there. And even though pretty much for the rest of my career I've never done marketing really as my actual job, um, mm-hmm. that's where really my passion for it ignited. And then I just since then I've just always kind of kept up with online marketing, just you know reading blogs, reading articles, and you know just kind of being into it on a personal level. Um, that yeah, that is so interesting because that the, the internet marketing is something that has changed and evolved so much over the past several years. So it's it's nothing that's ever going to be completely boring. Yeah. Um, but I also can completely relate to getting out of college and getting that first job. And you know, for so long there's the honeymoon period, and then one day you realize that you're doing meaningless work and you don't know how in the world you're expected to do this for the next 40 years and be completely happy. Yeah. You know, I can, I can remember, you know, that day and just thinking, Oh my God, am I stuck doing this? And so um, I think those are the, sometimes the seeds of the independent spirit that have to be nurtured in order to get some of us that are very conformist out into the entrepreneurial world. So now take us to the point at which, uh, where you are now, I think. Well, I, let me back up a little bit. You joined um, a business that your your I believe your husband started. Is that right? Yes. The, the martial arts. So tell us about because I know even as you know starting a business in the family, even if you're not working in it yet and you're doing other things to supplement the income, boy, there's got to be a lot of fears and a lot of sleepless nights going into that decision. Tell us about that. Sure. So. Um my my husband, Serge, um, he's been a martial artist for about 20 years, and it had always kind of been his dream to open a school. And the way that this happened was um, in 2008, we were both working corporate jobs. So he was uh-huh. working at a bank in the production department. I was actually an executive assistant at it. Um, uh, oh, actually, at the time, I was working in publish- magazine publishing. And um, in addition to our day jobs, we were also working side jobs. So I was hostessing at a restaurant. He was working security at a bar and restaurant. And so essentially we were kind of really spinning our wheels and doing, really working hard and not smart. 
um, right. I would put it that way. Um, in addition, I was also getting really involved in um, activism around like racial justice issues. So I was doing a lot of blogging and speaking about that. And so that was becoming kind of like a new career on the side for me. And okay. um, basically what happened is one night he got into a really bad car accident. Oh, wow. And um, he, he got out of the car. The car was totaled. Um, and he managed to escape without a scratch. And it was really one of those classic, you know, miracle stories where it really made him think, okay, I, I, this is a sign, like, I need to do something with my life. I can't just keep on this, you know, um, hamster wheel and just keep running and running because this is what happens. You know, he pretty much worked like a 20 hour day that day um, between the two jobs. And, um, and I remember, you know, I was sleeping that night and I remember him coming home at like five in the morning and waking me up and saying, Hey, you know, I got into an accident. I just want to, you know, I'm okay. Um, but you know, I think we really need to talk. And so the next day we just spent a few hours really talking about, wow, like what, what are we going to do with our lives? Like the, whatever we're doing right now, it's not working. And right. he pretty much, pretty much from that day on six months after that, um, we ended up signing the lease on the martial arts school. Um, and it's basically things just kind of started rolling really quickly. And so, um, you know, he, even though Serge has a lot of experience in martial arts, he's never actually run a school. So uh-huh. it's sort of like it's one thing for you to be a student versus one thing to run an actual school as an instructor and have this organization. And, right. and so that was definitely a really scary moment because when we signed that lease, um, <laughs> the monthly rent on that uh, space was three to four times our the rent of our home. Wow. And so just the, mm. the fact that we were committing to paying this amount of rent for five years and, you know, of course, like all the zeros are adding up in my head, like, oh, my right. God, how are we going to do this? Um, so, yeah, it was definitely a scary time. Um, but at the same time, it, it, it almost felt like we were propelled by this kind of faith where it was like, you know, th- this is just what we need to do. This is the path we need to go down. Well, I'm sure that, that you know, epiphany, so to speak, of after the car accident is something that gives a lot of clarity in a very short amount of time. And many people don't have and I'm, I don't even want to say the benefit of that, not that the car accident was a benefit, sure. but, you know, many people do not have that one critical life-changing moment where you walk away forever change. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's so interesting to hear that at that moment, um, th- once you started taking those next steps, within six months, you had the lease signed and it became very, very real, very, very quickly. So it's like once you had the epiphany, then the action followed and every other action followed, even though there was a tremendous amount of fear and risk. I mean, I I can completely relate to that. So you had a lot of sleepless nights trying (laughs) to figure out uh, how how to get the business going. And, you know, that's another thing, too. I think so many people that do get into small business – they they are experts in their craft, mm-hmm. which doesn't always translate into expert at running your business. Yes. And and to me, I think, you know, 
it is a shame when you have a master crafts person that specializes in this, that, or the other that is not able to do that simply because they can't get the business part of it taken care of. So um, did you ever get to a point where after you opened the business that you thought this is a complete mistake, we never should have done this? Unfortunately not. Um, and Good. I think, and I think one of the reasons we never got to that point is because we were fortunate to have a lot of good mentors. Mm. Um, so, um, Serge has a couple of friends who already owned, um, successful martial arts schools in New York City. Um, wow. and so he was able to really, you know, get good advice from them. They pointed us to good resources. And so because of their advice and then the advice from, these other organizations that he linked us up with, um, we were actually able to really cut our learning curve and also to avoid a lot of expensive mistakes. So that's something that I think we're really fortunate in. And, you know, for folks that are out there kind of doing it on their own, definitely if you can find someone who's already successful. And, and the thing is you want to make sure that you want to talk to someone who's at the top of their game. You don't want to talk uh -huh. to someone who's doing the same thing you are and is a little bit better. Um, right. Because they're probably making mistakes and you're going to make the same mistakes. Well, yeah, you go right in with them doing the same mistakes. Now, mm -hmm. did the um, did you ever have an issue with, because I, I think sometimes we perceive that if you're in the same industry as someone else in the same city and you go to them for help or advice, that somehow they're going to perceive you as competition and not really give you the information? I mean, is that just something we build up in our minds or did you ever experience any of that? Um, in this particular case, we didn't, um, and that really has largely to do with geography. So, uh -huh. um, you know, his friend, um, he has schools in the Bronx, and we're uh -huh. based in Brooklyn. And so it's pretty okay. much like, you know, if we were in the Burbs, we would probably be in competition, but because New okay. York is so densely populated, it's almost like we're in two different worlds. Gotcha. So, okay. you know, but that said, it a lot of it depends on personality type. So if you're dealing with someone right. who has that kind of, you know, scarcity mentality, right. even if you're so far from them, they may perceive you to be competition. So that is a real thing. True. And I will also say that just in my, I mean, I, I have a completely different experience base, but I have found and am, you know, more and more finding that as I reach out to people for help, mm -hmm. many times it's just the simple act of reaching out that makes them completely willing to kind of open the open the door and say, absolutely, I will help you. What do you need? Yeah. Um, and and I think so many times we, you know, we put up those barriers and our we you know we can't get out of our heads and we think, oh my gosh, no one's going to want to help me. It's going to mm -hmm. take up their time. And and many many times it is the exact opposite. And just that simple act of asking will get you exactly what you need to get to that next step. Yeah. So I think that is so critical. And I, I think it is so good of other more seasoned business professionals to really see mentorship or coaching as kind of a part of your pay it forward kind of duty, you know, yeah. to help bring along other people. So I think that's fantastic. Now, along the way um, of building this business with your husband, um, you at some point in time decided it was time for you to leave the workforce and join him. Can you talk a little bit about that decision-making process and kind of how you figured it was the right time? Because I think maybe um, 
a lot of people struggle. You know, you struggle as a, a business owner on, you know, when when can I afford to hire somebody else? And now, okay, now I've got two families that are depending on me for an income. And, you know, if you have a separate income as a spouse, then you at least have a little bit of a safety net. Mm-hmm. So switching to all your eggs being in the business of the family, it definitely changes your safety net and your comfort level. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think in, in our case, um, we were actually fortunate just because of kind of the nature of our business. So, um, you know, in a martial arts school, all of our classes were essentially in the afternoons and evenings, so after after school hours. Um, okay. For the first six months, Serge was actually able to keep his day job and, and do the school. So essentially, he just book all the classes after six o'clock, and so he was able to, you know, finish work at five, get back home, get back to Brooklyn, and then work those classes. Um, wow. So for the first six months, he was able to keep his job, and then, um, and then after that six month mark, we felt like, okay, it's time for you to, you know, let that go and and really go full time. And then, I kept my day job for the first year and a half. And, um, and for me, you know, definitely that (laughs) that year and a half was pretty tough because I would be waking up at like 5am. Um, I'd get into Manhattan at, you know, I'd be at my desk at seven o'clock. I'd leave work at four commute back to Brooklyn. And then I'd be at the karate school till like 10pm. And then towards the end of this, I was like, super, super pregnant also <laughs> doing that, you know. Just as if it didn't get tough enough on its own. You <laughs> exactly. had to add that to the mix. Exactly. Now, you know, I think you see over and over again that truly that, that entrepreneurial spirit kind of kicks in and many times – you're willing to do the hard things, you know, working a full-time job and then committing every night to go and putting your best foot forward, teaching kids or teaching other people. I mean, it, that's a physical thing. It's not a not a real passive type, uh, you know, business that you're in. Yeah. But you're willing to do that and know that it's for a limited amount of time and you, you're going for the reward at the end of it whenever you can completely have your passion you know, support your lifestyle. So I think that is that is so critical. And I've seen it again and again and again, where entrepreneurs do what it takes for whatever amount of time until they can finally let go and cut the get rid of the golden handcuffs or whatever else that's keeping, you know, that day job coming in. So now, Carmen, I know you kind of are the general manager of the the martial arts, but I think you have a a special knack for a lot of the marketing techniques. And I know while you've done a lot of internet type marketing um, techniques um, with some of the other things you've done with the po- uh, bl- podcasts and the other blogs that you've done, I think um, that you are finding some success with some real old school techniques for your brick-and-mortar business. And I wanted to see if you could share a little bit about what you're doing, what you're finding that works for you, and maybe any ways that another business might be able to use some of the techniques that you're using with old-school marketing. Sure. Um, Yeah, I am very passionate about old-school marketing or offline marketing. So I think okay. right now there's there's obviously everyone is talking about online marketing, which of course right. is critical, and there's a lot of talk about social media. Um, but I think that what sometimes gets lost in the shuffle is a lot of the marketing articles and advice that you read online are often geared more towards online businesses, uh-huh. and because of that, there's 
naturally going to be more of an emphasis on online versus offline marketing. But mm-hmm. I think that if you're neglecting offline marketing, then you're really leaving money on the table. So, so can we um, just take a, a minute and define kind of this off what this offline marketing and even what what we consider these old school techniques to be in case somebody is is not really familiar with that? Sure. Um, so in our particular business, I would say that the three most effective offline marketing methods we use are flyers, mm-hmm. signage, and promotional booths. Oh, okay. Um, and so um, flyering, that's the ultimate sort of old school um, uh-huh. low-tech marketing, but it's still extremely effective. And actually, I recently ran an analysis of um, our revenues, and I found that a third comes from online marketing, a third comes from referral or word of mouth, and then mm-hmm. a third comes from offline methods. Wow. So if we were kind of jumping completely on this online bandwagon and not doing the offline stuff, we would basically be 30% smaller of a business than we are now. So I definitely wow. urge you know people listening to this, um, don't neglect the offline stuff. And, Excellent. Um, you know, I'm happy to give, give some tips um, sure. on the T- three methods. Yeah, tell us exactly what you're like whenever you're talking about flyers, what you're doing, how you're using them. Same thing with the signage and promotional booths because, you know, there might be someone in another area of the country, they might have a completely different business, but these are strategies that they could implement and just start looking at their numbers and seeing if they're getting a return on that. Yeah, definitely. Um so with flyers, there's a lot of different ways to use flyers. So um, with flyers, obviously, we do hand-to-hand distribution where we're actually, you know, standing out on the sidewalk and, like, giving them out to people. Um, Uh We also, but also what we do a lot of, which is very effective, is we actually go to, we have our flyers in probably 150 different stores in our immediate neighborhood. Wow. Okay. So, um if you're planning to do this, what I recommend is using four by nine rack cards um, because uh-huh. they fit very nicely into a plastic holder that takes up very little room on uh, a reception desk. And so uh-huh. essentially what you do is you just go into your neighboring businesses and you say, hey, you know, you introduce yourself, tell them about your business and say, hey, is it okay if I leave some of my flyers here? And um, I'd love to take some of your uh, flyers and leave them in my business so that we can uh-huh. cross market. Okay. And you'll find that if you offer to reciprocate right off the bat, um, nine times out of ten, people will be like, okay, yeah, sure, leave it there. Um, now, the key with this is if you plan to do this, you can't just make this a one-time thing where you go to different stores, leave your flyers, and then never go back um, because uh. you need to have a maintenance plan. And so what you basically want to do is go back every week or every two weeks, go back to that same store, refill those cards, and very often when you go back to that store, you'll find that the rack cards are gone. And okay. so at that point, you know, you can basically say, hey, you know, I had spoken to whatever the manager's name is. He had given me permission to leave these here. Um, do you know where they are? And then sometimes they might have just thrown them out completely because they thought they'd uh-huh. see you again. Right. Um, <laughs> so then just you, you need to have another set ready and just, you know, with the holder, with the rack cards, put it back there and say, okay, okay. great. No problem. Here's a replacement one. And I'm going to be back next week to refill them. Now, if you okay. keep going back, 
pretty soon they're going to realize, okay, this person is serious. Like, they're going to keep coming back every week, so I'm not going to throw these out, and eventually they're going to just keep staying there. Sure. Let me ask ask you about your flyers. Are you using any type of an offer or anything like that on your flyer, or is it just sheerly information or education that you're offering? Um, No, we – it's – we definitely have an offer and, um, and you know, this is kind of a a larger point that is sort of the larger strategy behind the marketing that we do. Um, I Uh think that a lot of businesses, when they think about marketing, they think of it as I want to get my phone number or website into the customer's hand. Uh And what you really want to think about is kind of flip that dynamic. So instead of that, you want to think, I want to get the customer's phone number and email address into my database. Ah, so, okay. Um, and, and because of that, essentially, that's a different way of saying you want to focus on lead generation as mm-hmm. opposed to just blasting your stuff out there. And right. so the way that we design our flyers is we always have um, – we basically say, uh, for example, for karate, kids karate classes. Um, on the flyer, it'll say, hey, to get the schedule and details, um, visit this specific landing page, or you can text this keyword to this phone number and we'll text it to you right away. Ah, so you've got two different ways they can actually go ahead and get in touch with you. Exactly. And then, of course, our phone number is really big on the flyer as well if they want to just call Right. Us. But the key is really that we want to work on capturing their contact information in exchange mm-hmm. for information about what we offer. And so our gotcha. flyers are designed specifically in that way. That is that is a great um, kind of a paradigm shift with the way you think about that because you're right, so many people do focus on, you know, I need people to know we have an offer. I need to get people in here. And in actuality, the you know, they say the money is in the list with Internet marketing. And it's, you know, when you have a brick-and-mortar business, it's even that much more critical because those are your – those are your people that are going to be coming in time after time, you know, and you can continue to market to over the course of their, their lifetime. So that's fantastic. Um, now about signage, tell us about how you're using that and what, what that entails. Sure. So for signage, I think a lot of bricks and mortar stores will think of signage as, well, we have a sign. We've got our main sign, and that's it. <laughs> so it might be ugly, right? right. Yep. <laughs> so obviously, that main sign is critical to your business because that's the thing that kind of captures attention. But um, there's a lot more you can do with signage other than that. So you can think about having temporary signage, where there are you know things that you stick in your window that are maybe uh, promoting seasonal specials or you know kind of a short-term item. Or if you've got some new program or a new product that you're rolling out, that's a great way to display that. And then you also want to think about indoor signage. Um, And I think, you know, those of our brethren that are in the retail business are probably already masters at retail, uh, at indoor signage. But a lot of people who are not in retail may not think about that. Um, So, and what I mean by that is once people are in your store, um, what kind of signage do they see? Because I think sometimes we assume that our customers know all the different kinds of things that we do as a business. But the reality is they probably don't. They probably, they come to you, you know, your bakery. They come to you because they love your cupcakes, but they have no idea that you also do custom birthday cakes. I see. So using indoor signage is a great way to kind of 
um, promote the other things that you do and to kind of give a fuller um, uh, exposure to all the different things that your business has to offer. Well, you know, I think it's also worth mentioning that, you know, when you're talking about temporary signage or seasonal signage, you know, many times if you're in a place and you have static signage and nothing ever changes, people get used to that. And Mm -hmm. so they're really not seeing it. But by changing it up and putting different things up pretty soon, you're kind of training your audience to look for that. You know, what is going on? What is new? Oh, they have something, you know, they have something else they're telling me about. And before you know it, you've kind of retrained your customer a little bit rather than just ignoring the same old sign that you see, you know, year after year that's collecting dust, that it's more like evergreen content up there on the wall. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I think um, now, of course, with, you know, technological advances, you can also do a lot with digital signage. That's something I haven't dipped my toe into yet, but I'm hoping, fingers crossed, if we can make it work financially later this year to kind of convert to that. But that's another great way where you you can have constantly rotating things as opposed to one static sign. Excellent point on that. Now, um, you also mentioned that the other thing that's very effective for you guys is um, a promotional booth. Yes. So how, do you, how are you using that right now? What, what exactly is that and what does that entail? Because it sounds like um, it might be maybe a, a little bit larger of an investment than just a sign. Yeah, so um, when I say promotional booth, um, what, I'm basically, what I basically mean is anytime you have some kind of a table or a booth, at an event. Um, okay. So if you're in a business-to-business context, very often that would mean you have a booth at a trade show. Um, right. In, the, in our case, we're a business-to-consumer company, and so a lot of the promotional booths that we do are at street fairs. Um, so, okay. you know, in New York, um, especially in the warmer months, there's a lot of street fairs that happen um, all over the city, so where they'll block off, you know, five to ten mm-hmm. city blocks, and there's, you know, a bunch of vendors set of booths. And, you know, a lot of businesses may not think of street fairs as a way to market your business because you're used to thinking about them as a lot of the vendors sell stuff. So, you know, right. there's food vendors, there's, you know, vendors selling tube socks, which used to be a <laughs> right. perennial favorite. <laughs> um, but there's actually, um, but you can actually, there's nothing stopping you from having a booth and you don't have to sell anything. You can just be there promoting your business. And so we do a lot of these street fairs um, throughout the warmer months and they're extremely effective for generating leads. Um, and, you know, and again, you want to go in with a mindset of not, oh, I'm going to stand here and just hand out flyers until my wrist, wrists fall off. Um, you really want to be in the mindset of I want to capture leads and capture their contact information and add them to my list and my database. And are you doing at that point in time, are you doing some sort of a giveaway or something, some kind of an offer to go ahead and get that contact information? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And, okay. Um, and that's another important thing. So when, you know, talking about sort of, rookie mistakes. Um, the first year we were in business, we signed up for a table at this uh, street fair in our neighborhood. And, you know, this was a big deal. It was a big investment for us at the time. And we were like, man, if we kill it, um, then this is really going to set us up really well. And so I had the brilliant idea of getting tote bags made. So I thought, okay, oh. we're going to get red tote bags made, emblazoned with our logo. We're going to give them out. 
And so everybody walking around with these free tote bags is going to be like a walking billboard for our business. Right. So it worked really well. Um, the, we were we ran out of the tote bags within a few hours, and they were walking around with them, and they were walking billboards. But what I realized not so much later on is that the people that we were targeting, there was nothing about giving out tote bags that was helping us zoom in on our ideal client. So right. we were not focusing on people who are interested in kids' karate classes or adult kickboxing classes. All we were doing is targeting people who really like free tote bags. Right. So yeah. you, know, you want to be strategic about what the giveaway is because a lot of businesses just give away stuff, right, like pens, notebooks, right. hats, and that's good. People like free stuff, but you're not necessarily narrowing it down to people who have any interest in what you do. So nowadays what we do is we actually give away two free weeks of classes. Wow, okay. Um, and by doing that, you know, you know, and understand when you do this and let's say you work a street fair and you collect 150 leads, very likely um, only five of them will actually come in and take the class. Mm -hmm. um, but you are you've given they've given you permission to market to them in the long run. And so we've mm -hmm. had people that you know, uh, signed up at a street fair with us two years ago who now last month joined finally. Yeah, I can imagine that it's one of those things where timing is is going to be a factor with that. And it might be, you know, it might be their children are too small mm -hmm. right now, but two years from now, whenever they're trying to keep them out of peewee football or whatever <laughs> it is, you know, they're they're looking for something else. So I think, yeah, I think that definitely makes sense to get, um, get those people that even if they're not your specific avatar right now, they they could turn into that at some point in time in the future. So that that is a good lesson. And I think you're right. Um, many times we get focused on what is the giveaway and do we have the nicest tote bag and do we have something that looks cool or do we have, you know, this, that or the other. And anyone will walk up to get free stuff. Yeah. But it's a completely different person that says, oh, you're giving away two weeks of karate. I've always wanted to try it. Here, let me see if I can get, get that. Exactly. And before you know it, you've got a completely different type of, of mindset with the marketing. So very, very interesting. And I was going to say, you know, I think um, regionally you're going to find, I mean, like you have street fairs and, and that sort of thing. There are festivals. There are even farmers markets and local yeah. type market areas that are popping up all over. And even if every single week, you know, you spend a certain amount of your time educating um, whoever you talk to, um, eventually I think people will see, you know, just from the exposure, um, if they get to a point where they're looking for whatever it is your business is, you're going to come to mind. And not just that, but you're also out mixing and mingling and kind of interacting with other local businesses, which can also be a great way to get referrals, yeah, you know, because no. everybody knows somebody. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think a, a lot of it is about building trust. And we've right. definitely heard from people where they've said, wow, we've seen you at this event three years in a row. Um, you know, now we feel like you're really part of the community and, right. and we want to mm -hmm. be a part of it, of what you're doing. And you've, you've proven to have the longevity, yes. you know, to earn, earn that, that credibility there. 
Um, Carmen, we've talked a little bit, just barely touched on um, the Internet marketing. We spent more time on the, the offline marketing, which, um, you know, I think every business has got to find what works for their business. And what works for you um, might be different than what works for a different type of business. But I was wondering if you've had any experience um, with doing any sort of offers through like some of those coupon companies like a Groupon or Living Social or, um, you know, I think even right now like Amazon Local and, you know, all these big, big companies are really trying to suddenly turn into local. And have you have you used any of those offers? And can you tell us about that if you've, if you've got any experience with that? Yeah, sure. Um, we have had experience with Groupon um, and it's been a little bit indirectly. Um, and basically, we up until recently, we were actually licensing a fitness kickboxing program. Um, uh -huh. We recently moved away from that. We're just kind of doing our own in-house one. Um, but this particular program um, uh, was a nationwide licensing program, and so they would do national deals with Groupon. And so mm -hmm. they would run the deals and then, um, you know, list us as one of their locations, um, and then we would have people calling us to redeem their Groupons. So I think that, you know, Groupon definitely gets a bad rep, and um, rightly so, I would say, <laughs> in many cases. <laughs> um, but I think that if you're going to do a daily deal, um, the, very, the most critical thing is you need to have a conversion strategy. Um, so there's no point in doing a deal if you don't have a specific path that you know you're going to lead that customer down to become an actual permanent paying customer. So, um, you know, with us, the way this particular company was doing their deals is um, you could either purchase five, uh, I think four or ten kickboxing classes. And the way that we would do the conversion is when they came in to take their first class, um, we'd give them a great experience. After that, we'd sit them down and say, you know, these are the different programs that we offer if you want to keep training. And what we'll do is, you know, you spent, let's say, $50 on this Groupon. What we're going to do is actually credit you that $50 back. So we'll take $50 off of this program that you're going to join. So you get that money back and you get to keep training and have more of the benefits of being a full-fledged member. Um, and so that um, has been pretty effective for us. So actually, you know, we have a pretty popular fitness kickboxing program. And I'd say about a third of our members have come to us originally as Groupons. But wow. – there is definitely a lot of downsides to Groupon. And, um, you know, a lot of the complaints that small businesses have are very true. Um, a lot mm -hmm. of people who purchase Groupons do fall into this category of being extremely price sensitive. Um, they have no uh, intention of ever becoming a real customer of yours. They're just chasing a deal. And I think you know, that in and of itself is not such a big deal, but I think where it really affects small businesses, and I've heard this from a lot of other people, it's not just something we've dealt with, is a lot of times when you run a Groupon, it automatically equates to negative Yelp reviews. Ah, because okay. a lot of, unfortunately, you know, we've got a, a lot of my favorite members came from Groupon, so this is not a blanket statement, but unfortunately right. a lot of people who come through that, that door um feel like they can just do whatever they want. They can show up to a class without making an appointment. They don't read the rules and regulations, even when you explain things very clearly. They feel like you need to just 
let me do whatever I want or I'm going to blackmail you and leave you a one-star mm. review. So pretty yeah. much like 100% of the negative reviews we have on Yelp are from people who came to us through Groupon who refused to make wow. an appointment and then got mad at us because they couldn't take the class. And, you know, that's I think that's so valid to be able to to not just explain, but to to uh, make the point of if you can kind of control the process and, and like you were talking about with your conversion strategy, if you if you take that group honor and you still insist on running them through your um, your program, mm -hmm. you know, instead of letting them control it, then you end up with either a valuable customer or somebody that won't buy into the process and is going to leave you the, the negative Yelp review yeah. that you're left explaining. But it definitely, um, you know, I think getting them into your process and, and your conversion strategy can also be part of the value proposition beyond the great financial deal that they just got because that's the, that's the foot in the door. That's the bait, mm -hmm. so to speak. And then getting them in and providing that great experience and something that they really didn't expect above and beyond that, I think, can be the difference in turning them into a customer rather than just a negative Yelper um, for that. So I think that's very valid. And are you, um, you think it's something that you would dip your toe in any in the future to continue with that kind of a thing? Or have you done it and you've been there and you don't need to do it anymore? Um, I think in in this current business that we have, I don't really see us doing that anymore. Okay. Um, I think, you know, the writing is really on the wall. I mean, the, right. the daily deal industry, I, I really feel like it's, it's essentially these companies arose because of the recession. This is really a recession right. industry. And mm -hmm. even, you know, licensing of this program over the last couple of years, we've seen those numbers drop dramatically. You know, we used right. to get a ton of leads through Groupon. That's dropping. The numbers are dropping and the quality is dropping. So right. I don't see ourselves doing that. Um, I would say that if I were to start like a brand new business today, I might still do a Groupon or a daily deal just to kind of like get that quick traffic in the door. Uh -huh. So if, you know, you're in, in those shoes and you're a brand new business and you kind of want to just get some momentum going, I think it's still worth doing as long as, again, you have that very specific conversion strategy in place. That completely makes sense. But I, I, I agree with you that I think the daily deal ship has sailed, so to speak. I think, you know, consumers are a little bit frustrated. They, you know, consumers might feel a little bit bait and switched sometimes. And I think the small business owners are many of them not seeing the return on the investment and they're feeling like they've gotten beat up by the daily deal site <laughs> just to get these terrible customers in there. So um, I, I, I agree with you that I think there's um, there'll be something better that will come along that will definitely help provide more of a value there. Now, I'm assuming that with the type of business you're in, we've talked a lot about um, acquisition of new customers and not just that but doing the promotional type things but I would assume that some of your focus and marketing efforts revolves around the repeat customers or retaining uh, your martial arts students through all of the levels that they could go through so what are you what strategies are you doing right now that are working for retaining customers or getting that repeat customer um, yeah I think we that's very critical in our business because we're a membership-based business. So obviously mm -hmm. for us, it's all about 
renewing, um, you know, keeping people in our programs, you know, from a financial uh-huh. perspective. Right. Um, I think that what we're doing um, on the for kids karate, um, the nice thing is that it's the retention techniques are kind of baked into the nature of karate training in the sense that, you know, it's very motivating for kids to test, to be, you know, constantly testing for the next belt and to keep seeing that progress and moving through the ranks. And mm-hmm. so, you know, in a way, um, that retention is already built in there because they're excited about, you know, every quarter moving up a little step, a little step, a little bit closer to their black belt. Um, on the fitness kickboxing side, um, we actually, we don't have any kind of a ranking system because it is really just a fitness program. Uh-huh. Um, but what we have done, which has been really effective, is um, when someone completes 75 classes with us, um, wow. they, <laughs> so when they first, when they first join kickboxing, um, they get a pair of free boxing gloves and, you know, they're pretty good oh. gloves. Um, they work well. But when they completed their 75th class, um, 75th class which uh, for us, it, it, we kind of have like a class card um, that we track attendance on. And so it's uh-huh. like when that first card is full, which is 75 uh-huh. classes, then we actually give them for free a pair of red professional grade boxing gloves that are worth about $150. Wow. And so that has been really effective because, you know, when you're a new kickboxer and you're in class and you see all these people around you with these red gloves, you're like, yo, what's the deal with these red gloves? And then we explain it to you and we say, yeah, when you fill your first class card, you're going to get those red gloves. And it's really motivating. And then it also is gives sort of the people that have been with us for a while that are really, you know, committed to the program, it gives them a certain visibility. And then it also allows them to kind of almost become mentors to the newer members. So that's been really effective for us. Very clearly seeing the status of somebody and you think, wow, they're an old pro if they've got those, those, (laughs) uh, Red, those those gloves are it. So excellent. So that's, you know, and that's the funny thing about it is, is that seemingly, um, is a very subtle marketing strategy for retention. I mean, I, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. not, that's not real overt. Sure. But I think a lot of businesses could do something, you know, do some sort of reward or incentive that motivates customers and customers don't even realize it's about their retention and continuing to come in for the class after class. So I think that's very, very, uh, ingenious idea for that and giving them something that's actually useful toward the class and something that kind of gives them a little higher status than everyone else. So that's, that's a great technique there. Now for your business right now for the um, urban martial arts, what performance indicators or what business metrics are you guys currently measuring to see how you're doing? And then if you can kind of give us any idea of why you feel like those indicators are important to your business and to track those. Um, I think in our business, probably the number one metric that we look at is um, what is our active billing amount for each of the four main programs that we have. Um, Since we are a membership-based business, um, we really are concerned with seeing, like, what is the actual billing, monthly billing that each program is bringing in. So Mm -hmm. I think for us, that's that's probably the number one metric that we look at. 
Um, and then I'm also always interested in looking at, you know, how many leads are we generating? Um, because I right. am like a marketing nerd. <laughs> so I need to know <laughs> all these hours I'm putting in, is this actually exactly. leading to something? Um, so kind of like number of leads. And then obviously we're, of course, also measuring um, what is, you know, how many new people are we signing up every month? And then how many uh, existing members are we renewing? into a new program. Um, but um, I would say for us that those are the, the main metrics that we look at. Okay. Now, when you say that your business is a membership-based business, and I, um, I unfortunately, I've never taken karate or anything like that, so that might be something I need to uh, try my hand at at some point. But um, is it where you, you pay um, every single month and you have, like, unlimited number of classes, or you, do you buy packages? Can you kind of explain how your membership works a little bit in case someone needs ideas for what they might want to do with their business. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, for our kids karate classes, um, it is you basically are in either a three month, a seven month or a 12 month program. And you okay. pay every month. And it is um, unlimited in the sense that you know, you can take as many classes as you want that are offered within your rank. So obviously, if you're okay. in a yellow belt, you're not going to be like taking a purple belt class. Right, um, right, right. Um, so it is that way. Um, in our fitness kickboxing program, which is for adults, um, uh, we also do either a seven-month or a 12-month unlimited training. And that is truly unlimited because we offer uh, classes six days a week. Um, so if you wanted to take every single class, you, you could, although well, obviously no one does that. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> they're they're the diehards. Well, you know, I think we're all familiar with the mod, you know, the membership model that like a lot of gyms have. And you know, it's like you go in and once you sign up, you pay, you got your monthly bank draft coming. And many, many times I think people's experience is that it, the gym really could care less whether they show up or not. You know, in fact, yeah. they're counting on being able to oversell their membership spots and only having so many active people showing up to use the equipment. Um, but I do think it's really neat that even in your the fitness kickboxing, um, the reward of the free boxing gloves, you know, you're trying to incent the participation. And whether they're in it for, you know, six months or 12 months or however long they're in it for, the more often they come, it, you don't get a financial gain from that other than you get an avid hobbyist that is just getting addicted to being able to come in and do the fitness kickboxing, right? I mean, yeah. it's for the love of it, um, but it so builds that, I mean, that builds part of your brand and it builds part of the loyalty because those people get in that routine of doing that and pretty soon if they face the possibility of that not being part of their life and part of their routine, they completely miss it, mm -hmm. you know, and so then they're coming right back and signing up. So I think I think that's great that you're incenting people to come, even though you know you're getting a fixed amount from them, no matter how many times they attend classes. So that's great. Yeah, if, now, if I can just jump in there. Um, sure. I think that one of the misconceptions about uh, businesses that do monthly memberships is that um, the business model is based on, and, and I think Jim's, uh, many gyms do operate on exactly how you explain it. You know, they're counting right. on only a smaller number of people actually actively using the equipment because they're massively overselling their membership. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think that I think that there's sometimes a, a misconception that all monthly membership-based businesses follow that model, where they just want you to pay them every month and they're hoping that you don't show up. Um, right. In our business, and I know 
the, for a fact that the same is true for a lot of other businesses, we don't operate that way because for us, it's not financially beneficial for that to happen, for someone to just sign up for a program and pay us and not come. And it's both, it's not beneficial both from a financial perspective and then also from kind of a, you know, more of a purpose-driven perspective. Um, because, you know, and, you know, I'll talk about the purpose-driven part first. Obviously, we started this business because we're really passionate about helping people improve their lives and really become their best selves through the practice of martial arts. And mm -hmm. so if someone is paying us and not showing up, we don't feel good about that because we're not delivering the value that we show up every day to do. Mm -hmm. um, now, from the financial perspective, um, again, it's actually not beneficial because I think, you know, people assume that, oh, once you sign someone up into this program, you're dra automatically drafting their credit card every month. It's a sure thing. No, it's not. Once they stop showing up, eventually their credit card is going to stop working as well. Right. That's just right. how it is. So if you have someone who's a member that is not attending, they're very quickly going to become a delinquency. So um, there's no point in having someone who's a member that doesn't show up because it's going to become a problem for you. And then the other thing is that um, when they are a member with us, from a financial perspective, it benefits us. And if they're attending, because they're much more likely to refer their friends, they're much more likely to um, maybe purchase other things, to join other programs. If, you know, let's say um, there's someone in our kickboxing program and they have kids, they're much more likely to sign up their kids for our karate program. So we're able to cross-promote these programs a lot more. So I think that if you are in a membership-based business, I think that if you're kind of like Planet Fitness where you're only charging $10 a month, it's such a negligible right. amount that you can probably get away with people not coming and still paying you. But mm -hmm. once you're charging any kind of a premium price, you have to deliver. Um, right. You have to deliver a quality experience in order to justify that amount because it's just not going to work out for you. So let me ask you for, for wit, like if you have somebody that signs up for the fitness kickboxing and you begin not seeing them, do you, are you doing anything to proactively reach out to them and try to get them coming back? Yeah, we, we call them. Every okay. <laughs> so if someone doesn't show up for eight days, um, uh -huh. which is basically more than a week, um, uh -huh. we have alerts set up where we're going to call them and say, hey, just want to make sure is everything okay. Um, hope to see you back in class soon. And we keep calling them every week until we get them back in class. Excellent. You know, I think, and, and part of what you have just described is um, the difference between using a local independent business where the owners are doing what they're passionate about doing, and it is truly their life's work, um, and they're invested in your enjoyment as a customer, than comparing that to the national franchise that has different people rotating in and out and you can't even find the same people working there from month to month. Um, you know, and so, so what you just described about the different views of a membership and a, you know, auto bank draft, you know, coming through and saying, you know, it doesn't feel good to me when we're taking money from you every month and not giving you something back is exactly the reason to choose a local independent brick and mortar business over one of the national chains. 
you know, I just, I feel like that, that right there is part of the difference and part of, you know, it's the connection that you have to those people. And, you know, the, the people that are in it and working there are the ones you're going to see day after day, month after month, and year after year. And pretty soon you're growing a relationship. They're seeing the progress that you make in your life and your fitness and your stress level and all those other benefits and really sharing the joy in that and feeling um, probably as good about that as they do about any of the financial rewards in that business. So um, I just wanted to get that plug in there for the, <laughs> the, the differentiation because I think we've all – um, felt like we've been run through the cattle call, you know, on the New Year's resolutions, going to the gym, and, you know, we sign up and, you know, never see anybody again and never know anyone's name and never hear from anybody again, but we just see that bank draft going in month after month. So um, now I wanted to um, get you to kind of do a little bit of 2020 hindsight. Mm-hmm. Um, as looking back on as you started your business and the experience you had opening a local business, um, what is the overarching lesson or the main thing that you've taken away from this process that you could share with us? I would say that one, probably one of the biggest lessons we've learned over the years is the importance of strategic focus. Mm. Um, and I'll explain specifically what I mean. So, sure. You know, when we first opened um, our doors, we had a kids karate program and an adult karate program. Uh-huh. The kids karate program was pretty successful, you know, right from the get-go. The adult karate program was always kind of flailing a bit. And, you know, part of that is due to just it's it's a different customer. You know, adults right. have a lot going on. They, you know, they're a little more flaky. Kids have their parents <laughs> dragging them to class whether, whether they want to go or not. Right. Um, so... You know, I think it's particularly with the adult program, we kind of tried a lot of different things. So we kind of, we did karate for a while, then we kind of were like, all right, let's kind of do more of a fitness class. Then we saw, you know, obviously the the popularity of mixed martial arts. So we're like, all right, let's maybe jump on this MMA bandwagon and kind of offer, mix in a bit of MMA, mix in a bit of grappling. Mm-hmm. And basically we realized we got to a point where we realized that we can't be the best at everything. Ah. We have to pick what we're really good at and just stick with that. And so after, you know, a little bit of experimentation here and there, finally we're at the point today where we, all we offer is karate for kids and fitness kickboxing for adults. If you want to learn how to fight, don't come to us. We're not the place. If you are an adult and you want to learn like kata and like all this traditional karate stuff, we're not the place for you because we don't have an adult karate program anymore. What we really do well is fitness, kickboxing, kids karate, and that's it. And, you know, and that's something that I would definitely urge other business owners to keep in mind. You're, you're always going to be led astray if you listen to your customers and just do everything that they suggest. Now, that's not to say, obviously, you always want to listen to your customers in in terms of getting good feedback, but you need to process that feedback through a filter. Because I'm telling you, if we did everything our customers said, we would be doing Zumba classes, we'd be doing (laughs) step aerobics, Uh we would be doing yoga, and we'd suck at all of those things because that's not our core competency. So, 
don't get carried away with trends and fads and what the squeaky wheel is demanding because you really need to focus on what is the thing that you do the best and do that. And ever since we kind of really focused in on, on doing those two things, our revenues have gone way up. So I think strategic focus, that, that's really the biggest lesson for us. You know, and I think for a lot of business owners, it, what you just said makes absolute and complete logical sense. However, whenever you're starting a business and trying to grow a business, it's a little bit counterintuitive to have to say, oh, well, if you want to do that, we're not the place for you. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we see everyone that comes in the door. Well, if we, can, if we could offer this, we could capture them as a customer, no matter how poorly we do it. We might have them for a minute. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, it is critical what you said is that once you realized what your core competencies were and what you realize, when you realized what your strengths were, you could just go full bore into that and easily say, you know, if, you're, if you want to do this, we're not the place for you, but I probably know where you should go and let me, you know, refer you to them. And suddenly, you know, you've, you built a referral network, you know, back and forth between different niches. But it, it just really does go into, it's kind of a maturity, I think, level that yeah. a business has to get to where you can, Feel confident enough in your overall success to say, this is what we do, this is what we do well, and this is what we're going to stick to, and these are the avenues we're going to grow rather than doing the step aerobics and the Zumba and the, you know, all these other things that people keep saying, oh, you should do this, you should do that, as if the thought never occurred to you. And and also, (laughs) I I would, I 100% agree with you. It it takes time to get to that point, and you do need Mm -hmm. to, like, kind of experiment and see what works and what doesn't. Um, And then I would also, you know, to the point of listening to your customers but with a filter, understand Uh that a lot of times when customers say, man, if you offer this thing, I would be all over that. They're Mm -hmm. just saying it. They're not going to actually buy it. And I've seen with my own eyes businesses make that mistake of taking their customers' words for the truth, and Uh they launch these new things or maybe even launch separate businesses, and then they realize, what, what? What the heck? Like these people right. that were saying, oh, if you offer this thing, I'm going to totally pay you. They're not paying you. And they're just like, do, 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 do. Where are they now? And you're right? the one, you know, left managing these expenses for this thing that you rolled out thinking that there was this great demand. So know that yeah. there's a difference between talk and purchase. There's you know, and I think. In, in so much of what I see with internet marketing, there's there's this push, you know, to validate your idea. And can you get 10 people that will say, um, not just is this a great idea, but I would be willing to pay you money today for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's the same thing. It's the exact same thing you just talked about, you know, uh, getting those people to go ahead and put the money. Now, if you if you did a program where you got, you know, were able to go ahead and say, give me the money and we'll create the program, you know, you might see enough interest to say this idea is valid and maybe we should try it. But you're right. A lot of times you just get people uh, spouting off whatever and then they go on their merry way. And meanwhile, you're left taking action and expanding in a whole different direction that you never intended. 
um, and taking the hit on revenues for that. So excellent, excellent advice. Now, I know that you've had um, a lot of exposure to a lot of things that small businesses are doing right now. So from your personal experience, are you seeing some things that maybe other small businesses in your community are doing that you feel like they're doing really well right now and that, that are really working for them? Um, I would say that one of the, the small businesses I came across recently that I was really impressed by, um, they're not really in my community, um, mm -hmm. but uh, we're users, we use um, to run a lot of our stuff, we use Infusionsoft, um, which okay. is our, uh, kind of marketing and email software, right. um, and um, I go to their annual user conference um, each year. Wow, okay. And... Um, and, you know, each year they kind of give out this award for marketer of the year. And so four different mm -hmm. business owners kind of come up and do a presentation and, and um, you know, try to try to compete for the award. And I was really impressed by one of the finalists uh, from last year's conference. Um, he runs a orthodontics, I hope I'm saying that right, uh -huh, <laughs> orthodontics uh -huh. practice. Right. Um, it's called Burleson Orthodontics. Um, his name is Dr. Burleson. And I love his story because, of course, he's a bricks and mortar business owner. <laughs> so right, soft spot right, for right. that. Uh -huh. um, but I was really impressed with um, some of the referral uh, techniques he, he's using to generate referrals. And I have to say that for us, that's always been a bit of a weak spot. I think we, uh -huh. we actually get a, a good amount of business through referrals, but we don't really have any real solid programs in place to generate those on a systematic basis. So it's kind of happening organically. But he's got some great systems in place um, where he, and his business is a little bit similar to ours in that he kind of has two different audiences. He's got the kids who get the braces, but then there's really the parents that are the buyers. And right. so in order to generate referrals, he actually incentivizes each audience in different ways. So with the kids, ah. he's really incentivizing them with um, gadgets, you know, refer uh -huh. this many friends, get an iPad, refer this many friends, get a, you know, Wii. Um, uh -huh. And then with the parents, it's slipping my mind right now what the, the main incentive is, but I'm guessing it's more kind of like cash-based or maybe right, discounts right, and right. stuff like that. Rebate, yeah. something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. You know, and it kind of surprises me to hear that you as a brick-and-mortar business are actually using Infusionsoft. I mean, I, that is so, uh, it, it gets such great uh, publicity from so much of the internet marketers yeah. um, that are out there. Um, it also has a very steep learning curve. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I guess, you know, once you make the investment in learning it, and, you know, it sounds like you've got it working exactly the way you want it, um, it, it, people swear by it. And I think that's really interesting that you as a brick and mortar business are focused, um, very, your, your business model is focused very similarly to the internet marketing, um, lead, uh, capturing the leads and lead generation and getting, getting the database built yeah. rather than just throwing all your stuff out there and seeing what sticks with what customers. So, I think that's great. Um, on the flip side of what you're seeing small businesses doing, are you, have you seen any mistakes that we could share that you've seen that we maybe could steer people away, get them to avoid it before they actually step in it? Um, ugh, daily? <laughs> <laughs> As a customer? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, 
I think, um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when you asked me about retention techniques earlier, you know, I mentioned some of, you know, the red gloves and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you know, you have to deliver a good product. Like that's really the end game. Um, if your actual main product or service isn't good, it doesn't matter how awesome of a marketer you are, you can't put lipstick on a pig. Right. So I think that, um, you know, I could point to tons of business that could be doing more in terms of marketing and this and that. But at the end of the day, I, I think it, the the most important thing is delivering, you know, putting most of your effort into delivering the best product or service you can. And then, yes, definitely investing the time into doing great marketing so that you can get that out in the world. But if you've got great marketing and a crap product, you're not going to last. Right. It's a, it, it'll be a one-hit wonder with every customer. They'll try you, but they will not come back. So I definitely agree with that. So as you look at, I know we just started 2014, and it's the time when a lot of businesses do some strategic planning and set goals for the new year. So what's next for your business? Um, what do you guys have on the horizon? Um, I think for our business, you know, we, we've definitely set certain growth goals, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that, um, some of the, I guess, more projects or areas that we want to focus on more this year is, um, one is we're going to focus a lot more on generating more online reviews. Okay. And that's definitely an area where I have kind of neglected things a little bit. And mm -hmm. um, if you'll allow me to get on my soapbox for a little while. Step um, on up. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've already bashed Groupon, so since this is a small business show, it's time to bash Yelp as well. Um, okay. <laughs> um, but, no, but, but seriously, um, I think that um, for a lot of businesses like ours, um, that there's a lot of businesses in industries where that don't naturally generate reviews. So right. a lot of people... You may have raving fans, but mm -hmm. it would never occur to them to actually write a review about your business unless you ask them. Right. And so, you know, I think ours is definitely a business like that. There's tons of, especially bricks and mortar businesses, but there's tons of industries where I feel like the same thing applies. Dry cleaners, you know, local right. delis. Um, you're only, and then the, the problem with that is the only time you're going to get reviews is if something goes wrong. They're bad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you don't generally, you don't sort of generate the natural flow of positive reviews. So you're getting really slammed by negative reviews, um, which right. brings us back to the group owners I've talked about before. And so um, I think that we haven't really had a good system of constantly asking people to write reviews for us. So, you know, it's a little spotty. So I think that's definitely something we're focusing on this year is to try to get um, to really systematize um, generating reviews. Um, sorry, did you have a question about that? No, well, I was just going to say, I that this is uh, you've stepped up on my soapbox. So welcome <laughs> to my to my soapbox. I um not that I'm about shameless self-promotion or anything like that. But one of the things that I have started is a website um, it's bazooki.com, and it's good local for the conscious consumer. And essentially, what I want it to be, it's not about, 
you know, lambasting every negative review out there, but I mean, every ne negative experience you have with a local business. But it's simply trying to get those of us that are the champions of local business, which they're, they're, our tribe is in, there's some of our tribe in every community, right? Mm -hmm. That would, you know, prefer to do that. And essentially, it is a video review web, it's a video sharing website for video reviews mm -hmm. of local businesses. And the goal is, you know, everyone's carrying their smartphone with them. Everyone, um, if you're at a local business and you have a great experience, why not take a moment, whip out your smartphone, do a quick video review, tell us what you loved about it, upload it right to the website, and then it's there. You know, in search rankings with Google and that sort of thing, I mean, everyone knows video is really big right now. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like, you know, eventually, and granted, I have not been able to do as much with it as quickly as I wanted to. We've still got some programming to work on and make it, making it all pretty and everything like that. But the whole thing is I would love to get to the point where you as a small business could exactly say just what you're almost solicit the reviews and even you know it might even be that you set up a video corner you know confessional booth in the um karate <laughs> studio or whatever where somebody could go and say oh my gosh i just had the best workout ever this instructor's awesome what you know whatever it is but then they can immediately be uploaded and then that that review is out there and google's going to find it and every other search engine is going to find it it's going to rank higher it's getting your name out and so i'm going to be doing a lot with that but it's it's just the whole premise of what can we as small business consumers do to give you that holy grail of marketing, which is the testimonial, which yeah. is the, the review. And I think we're so stingy with that unless we're completely pissed off. You know, because and I hate to say it, but it's true. And I think as consumers, as we get more conscious about where we're spending our local dollars, it becomes a responsibility of us to do the referrals and to do the testimonials because it's in our best interest. It's our communities that these businesses are building. It's, you know, it's these, com it's these businesses that are then turning around and supporting the little leagues and the charities and the other things that go on in our business, you know, in the, in the world right there in your local area. And so it is all of our responsibilities to get behind the local businesses. So it's just something that's out there and we'll be doing more with it, but I think it's a great thing to get you know, get to the point where you as a small business are not afraid to say, hey, could you give us a review? We need some. We had some people kill us on Groupon, you know, <laughs> and and because, it, you know, it's if it's especially if it's not reflective of what your overall customers feeling and you know you have a ton of satisfied customers, but they're not the ones getting on Yelp or they're not the ones getting somewhere else, it can make a huge difference. And so I, I definitely think that is a huge area where we as consumers are failing um, our small businesses idea. so so anyway well okay well we can go ahead and put the soapbox away <laughs> we'll give it a rest for another day but like i say we can go on and on about that but i think that's a very valid point now you mentioned infusionsoft is a tool that you use to run your business are there any other type favorite type tools that you have found extremely helpful with just the day-to-day -day running of your business? I know sometimes um, until we hear about somebody else having success with them, maybe we're a little bit gun-shy about either trying them or maybe the fact that we would have to learn something new. Um, is there anything you're 
particularly fond of for running your business? Um, no, I, I think I pretty I keep it pretty simple. I mean, Infusionsoft is probably the main tool I use, and then other than that, day to day, I'm really in my Gmail. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I I know that all the productivity gurus say that you shouldn't use your inbox as your to do list, but um, uh -huh. I've tried a lot of other methods and I seem to keep coming back to it. So. And you know what? What works for you might not work for somebody else, but the the bottom line is if it works. I mean, there are some people that will, you know, will swear by the whiteboard, you yeah. know, and they're like, they want that dry erase board. They want it visual. They want it right in front of them. They want to keep that list. And so I say whatever works for you as far as your organization, that, that that's what you've got to use. So that's great. Um as a parting thought, um, anything that you could share with us that maybe if you if you look back and think, man, if I had only known blank whenever I had started, I would have been so much better off. Can you give us anything like that that maybe somebody else could say, ah, I'm not going to have to go through that one by myself because I just got this piece of wisdom that's going to steer me in the right direction? Um, I would say, and I know, you know, we've been harping on this a little bit throughout the interview, but I would say definitely you've got to build your list and your database. And mm -hmm. even though I had a background in online marketing and, you know, on the other kind of activist work I was doing, I was very up on building a database and an email list. I'm embarrassed to say that for the first uh, two years or so of running Urban Martial Arts, we never asked anyone for their email address. Wow. And then not okay. only that, but um, all the people that came through um, and like did an introductory lesson and didn't sign up, we never put their information, which included their address, mailing address, into any uh -huh. kind of database. So wow. um, I would say definitely um, from day one, even if you're just opening your doors today, you've got to build that list. And the reason that it's so important is that it gives you control over your business so that you're not just, um, you know, at the mercy of the elements, so to speak. You know, just, just right. as an example, January in New York City, we've been really slammed with terrible weather. Um, right. We've been really slammed with snow, and it's had a real effect on our walk-ins and on our, you know, leads coming in, people just kind of don't want to do anything because the weather right. is so bad. They're, hi they're hibernating. Exactly. Right? <laughs> um, but because we have this database that we're able to send emails out to, we're able to have that control so that we're not just hoping that people walk in through the door. Um, and then also just to kind of quantify this a little bit for you, um, I've noticed that in any given month, approximately 20% of the new people that the new members we sign up are people mm -hmm. who've been in our database for six months or longer. Wow. So if you're not, if you don't have some kind of a database, if you don't have a way of regularly keeping in touch with people, and it can be as simple as a single monthly tip you send out by email at the very uh -huh. basic level. I do right. a lot more than that. I'm a little more aggressive. But uh -huh. um, if you're not doing that, then you could be leaving up to 20% of revenues on the table. Well, you know, I think it's so interesting that you mention that because I, the important thing is sometimes not even knowing what you plan on doing with your list. I mean, because you, you don't always know how it's going to evolve. Mm -hmm. But if you go ahead and start building it, then you have it at your disposal. So when you decide it's time 
to do the tip of the week or do the weekly or monthly newsletter or do a campaign for fitness or whatever it is you're doing or suddenly you want to start content marketing. You have that and it's at your disposal and then you haven't lost valuable time. Like you said, you know, the first two years, you know, wow, I, I know you wish you had some of that back so you can yeah. go back and put them back in the database. But it definitely, you don't always have to have the exact strategy laid out. And I think people find what they're comfortable with. And like you say, the tip of the week or the, you know, whatever uh, fitness tip or whatever it is might be the way someone feels comfortable starting out. Yeah. But as you see success with that, then it will evolve and morph into something else. And pretty soon <clears throat> you might be sending out a link to your YouTube channel because you have, you know, uh, a new, uh, some type of new instructional video or something up. So, I mean, you don't really always have to have a grand plan to, for the marketing of the email or the database, but it's important that you start it so that you have it at your disposal when you get it all figured out. So I think that's great advice. Um, Carmen, is there anything, um, we, I, you've been extremely generous in sharing so much of your experience and even just giving us down to, you know, top three things that are working and explaining all that. And so um, I wanted to give you any um, ability that you, you might want to take a minute here and promote anything about urban martial arts because I can imagine that we have listeners that will be um, in your area that maybe they've never been exposed to you, but is there anything that you uh, you would like to, prom to promote as far as your business? Yeah, um, well, I, I guess, you know, if you're interested in checking out our website, it's urbandojo.com, D-O-J-O. Okay. Okay. Um, and so we're in Brooklyn, New York. We have classes for kids, for adults. We do a summer camp. We also do a karate after-school program. Okay. Um, and then for, you know, any business owners who are interested in, you know, getting some tips on local marketing, um, mm -hmm. I do have a blog. Um, it's not updated as frequently as it should be. But, uh, <laughs> Story of our lives, right? <laughs> um, but uh, hopefully by the time you hear this, it'll be on a more regular schedule. But um, if you want to check that out, it's uh, CarmenSinyobi.com. And I'm sure you will not know how to spell Sinyobi. So um, there's a shortcut. Uh, you can go to CarmenBlogs.com, and then it'll redirect you there. Ah, great. CarmenBlogs.com. What I'll do is I'll put all of these... Um, these things, places to reach you and find you in the show notes. And so um, somebody can go to brickandmortarreporter.com and, and um, under this episode, we'll have all these links there so that we, uh, we can get them to the right place. And um, just so people have the information, because sometimes they might want to Google you or something like that. Um, your name is Carmen, C-A-R-M-E-N. Your last name, Sanyovi is actually spelled S-O-G-N-O-N-V-I, right? So if people want to uh, find out more about you, I think you've got some, uh, some interesting things out there on the web um, as far as uh, tips and, and other things that you've done before that are they're still out there. And, you know, people just being introduced to you can still benefit from stuff that you've done in your past. So I think that's awesome. Um, Carmen, I can't thank you enough for spending time and taking time away from your business and your family um, to share your experience with us. And I know that people are going to be able to take so much of this interview and actually come up with things that they can 
you know, change their strategies and actually implement so many of these things that you've given, um, tips that you've given us today. And again, we'll have all of it in the show notes. So if you need any extra help, just go to that. And um, it's just been an honor talking to you. And again, I cannot thank you enough for being here with us today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. This was really fun. You can find all the resources mentioned in this podcast in the show notes at www.brickandmortarreporter.com. If you've enjoyed listening to this interview today and you've enjoyed the content and the experiences that were shared here, I would be so happy and so grateful if you would take the time to go into iTunes, leave us a quick review or rating. We appreciate all your feedback. We love hearing from you. We want to make this podcast the best it can be with every single episode. So hop on over to iTunes. I'll have the link listed in the show notes, and you can give us a review and or rating, and we thank you for it. Thank you for listening to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, where we build businesses all day long with no permits. Remember, local businesses are the backbone of our economy. So, whenever you have the opportunity, choose local. 